I'd like to welcome all of you back here to our podcast on the heart's desire and social change. My name is Father Dan Grudy and I'm Vice President and Associate Provost here at the University. And one of the things that I do here is just welcome people back to campus, especially those who've been away for some period of time. One of the things I'm always struck by is the desire for people to have meaningful conversations about things that really matter. And that's why we started this podcast was to really broaden that conversation and to invite other people into it, whether they're connected to the university or not. So this is our last session of this first series of the podcast. And today we'd like to take a moment to reflect on what it was like to have this converse, these conversations during this time, as well as to take some of the questions from some of our listeners who have written into us. So to help us with this, I've also invited Lauren Fox, who works with us in the production of this podcast, as well as my friend and co-host here, Richard Leiter. So welcome back to both of you. We're glad to have you here with us. And Lauren, I'm going to actually turn it over to you because you're the one who we're going to moderate the questions. Great. Thank you so much for having me today. So the first question I have is for Richard. What have you learned from accompanying people on these journeys throughout your life? Have you traveled throughout the globe? Well, I think the uh, podcast has been a reflection of what I learned. And I would say, Lauren, three things. Number one is the power of stories. Everybody has is an experiment of one. They have their own story, but they can learn from stories. What we didn't try to do and attempted not to do is information overload and really get wisdom. And, and the wisdom comes from stories. The second thing, Lauren, is actionable practices, things that people can actually do on Monday morning. As we know, action precedes clarity. And so when we do something, we learn. And uh, so we've had practices and actionable things. And these have been uh, uh, powerful. And the third thing is a good question, like you just asked, beats a good answer. So I hope I, I gave you a good answer. But what I've learned is the power of questions. Once again, living in the question is really the power. That's great. And your second point, you mentioned actions. Is there one action in particular that you feel like you have to continue to go back to daily or weekly? Every morning, waking up with the question, why? Why am I doing this? What is my impact today? So um, there's many practices that we've shared uh, throughout this series, but I think the one thing is to be awake and aware every single morning that there are 1,440 purpose moments in a day, and you can make a difference in one person's life just by listening, by a hug, by a kind word, by something that day. I love that. That's great. Well, my next question actually is for you, Father Dan. What do you feel you've learned from teaching the Heart's Desire Social Change class over all these years? Well, I come back again to the fact that this uh, podcast and the class that I teach really uh, came up as a response to some students who really wanted to explore these topics even more. And as I've, I've gotten more into the material, I've realized how much of a hunger there is for people to find meaning, to find purpose, to really explore some of the deeper dimensions of their lives. 
And if people want to do more than just make a living and survive. People actually want to know that their life has meaning, that it has purpose, that it counts, that it actually is going somewhere. And I think what I've learned, uh, I think walking with people in this is how everybody's dealing with the same thing. People are looking for connection. They really are trying to find uh, ways of living their life well. Um, and they're trying to sort of figure out how to sort out the different energies and desires um, that are in their lives and often in conflict with each other. Um, so I think there's a number of themes that we've covered in this podcast that really uh, highlight some of the things people are searching for. Uh, I also realize that there's a lot of things that can get in the way of that process. And we've even spent time talking about issues like forgiveness and surrender um, and uh, that are part of this process as well as discernment. So I, I just find that um, the heart is a absolutely wonderful and mysterious and complicated process. In fact, I remember um, when I was in the novitiate watching an open heart surgery and I was very struck by uh, the whole skill and talent of the doctors that actually helped heal a wounded and sick heart. Uh, and I was amazed by the technical skill at which they did it. But um, I was also um, awed by the miracle of the heart itself. So I think for me, this has been um, ex exploration of the mystery of the heart itself, how more than just our physical needs, more than just our need to survive and to work, um, there is something beating within us that is made from love and it calls us to love. So that's just the beginning, but there are many kind of fascinating dimensions, I think, of trying to explore the dimensions of that heart and how it calls us to live out a more meaningful and purposeful life. That's so fascinating. And have you found there's a huge difference between teaching this material to the undergraduate student versus maybe your lifelong student, uh, the individuals, maybe 40 to 80 years old in the Inspired Leadership Initiative? I find that at every age, people are asking a lot of these questions, sometimes with different degrees or different levels of intentionality. But I know some younger undergraduates who are taking these questions to heart and are looking at them very seriously. And some older people who are just getting into them for the first time or at least consciously looking at them. So I find that no matter what the age of people are um, really curious about these questions that we've been exploring. Uh, at the same time, uh, people who are older tend to have less illusions about life. Uh, they uh, tend to have more realism often about what to expect from a marriage or a family or a career. Um, and oftentimes, too, because there's more life experience, sometimes they can be more guarded or protected and more hesitant to even get into sharing more deeply about their lives, especially if they've never done that before. I think uh, the younger undergraduate students, I think, are a little more willing to kind of jump into that. Uh, they also kind of are dealing with some of these same issues, but maybe not to the same degree. So um, but there's a common thread that transcends all ages. And I think underneath it, uh, people are all searching for very similar things. And I would just uh, pile on to that a little bit, Lauren, by just saying that one of the things that we've discussed is living a default life versus living an authentic, uh, purposeful li life. And so uh, purpose is age agnostic. It can be in the classroom at Notre Dame, or it could be, as you said, in the 40 to 80 or even beyond. And so what we've looked at is how do we make choices and uh, discern 
and listen to God's call in our life at any age or stage. And so that's been very uh, inspiring for me personally to work with Father Dan on these kinds of questions from cradle to grave type uh, arc. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know I personally have felt really impacted by the podcast. I learn something new every time I listen. And um, it's just been really fruitful for my life. So, you know, as we look uh, to the future, what does the podcast look like for you guys as we approach season two? I think we're just beginning to get into these themes. So there's a lot more to talk about and there's a lot more people to talk with. So one of the things we do is to take some of these themes and begin to explore with others uh, really how they approach these themes. Richard and I have had a great time going back and forth in these themes and we hope to continue to do so in different ways. But we also want to sort of add more people into this conversation and more perspectives. So I think right now we want to chart some of those uh, kind of courses out. We really want to identify some of those people, those conversations. And I think from that, too, we want to be open to what our listeners are connecting with and what they would like to see more of. And I would say, uh, Lauren, to add to that, that, you know, we've talked about the concept that isolation is fatal. People are looking for community. They're looking for connectivity. And I think part of what this is uh, meant to do and hopefully has done is to create some sort of community of seekers to say you're not alone. There's a lot of others, maybe all others who are living in the same questions. And moving forward, uh, you know, one out of three people today is in a life transition of some sort. It could be career. It could be financial. It could be existential, relational. But I think we want to to, uh, be there in a way that helps people to feel that they're not alone and they're an experiment of one. Even though they're not alone, they have to do it their own way. That's great. Well, um, I'd like to move into some of our listener questions, if you guys would like to take some from our audience. So the first one is from Hannah, who comes from Minnesota, and she says, I know that it is important to read the Bible, but more often than not, I feel overwhelmed and I don't know where to begin or really how to understand it. How can I have a more enriching experience with the Bible? I think a lot of people, especially Catholics, have a lot of trouble knowing where to begin and how to read the Bible. If we look at some of our Protestant peers, we know that they often kind of delve into the scriptures much more readily and can cite chapter and verse in ways that they can run circles around many Catholics. Uh, It's interesting that in recent years, many Protestants have become more interested in liturgy and more Catholics have been interested in the Bible. And I think they bring out kind of different dimensions of how we worship and approach God. So I think that in general terms, one thing it's helpful to do is to know the big storylines in the Bible first. So before delving into sort of the the different dimensions of law in Leviticus, I think it's helpful to just kind of know the long arc of of basically God's creation of human beings, um, decreation through sin and recreation through grace. And to kind of underneath that long arc is to see how the structure of the Bible is put together and to really um, look at uh, what um, the different uh, dimensions of this story and how they really uh, take shape throughout the course of the Old Testament and New Testament. That being said, um, there are different approaches to the Bible. One can study the Bible and look at it in, in detail. And also one can meditate with the Bible. 
and take different passages and go deeper with it. So if you look at the different forms of prayer, like centering prayer, Alexio Divina or others, you're just taking a simple passage and you're not just trying to understand it in your head. You're actually trying to let it percolate down into your heart. And you're actually trying to let it kind of get into the really down into the deep soil of, of who you are as a human being and to really enter into that conversation with God. So, um, but I think what's even uh, more important than reading about the Bible, reading the Bible is having a sense of, of encounter with God, that God is a living God, that God is someone that we meet and that God is someone we meet through the scriptures. So even to begin in the gospel readings is to say, who is this person of Jesus? And to really begin to develop that relationship with Jesus. So I think from that place of encounter, um, we can unpack um, more of it through reading the scriptures and come to a deeper knowledge of God. But I think um, reading the scriptures, praying with the scriptures, and letting them be kind of a way of encountering God more alive in our lives as I think an important place to begin. And I'm not uh, Father Dan, but I would say that what we've talked about often and what Father Dan has taught me is that Jesus was more about questions than answers. And asked more questions and answers, I should say. And so I think we all come to the Bible with our quest and our questions. And it's okay. It's okay not to know and not to have an immediate answer, but to say that, well, Jesus lived in questions and asked questions too. So uh, to relax a little bit uh, and to uh, enjoy the read, so to speak, or enjoy the wisdom and let it sink in in certain ways. St. Ephraim also said many years ago that, uh, drinking from the well of the scriptures is like drinking from a living stream. We, we lose more of it than we grasp. There's more water that flows through our hands than we're able to drink up. So he says, don't be discouraged when you can't drink it all. Doesn't, don't be discouraged you can't drink the whole river. Don't be discouraged that you really can't take the whole reservoir in, if you will. Just take what you're able to do at a certain moment and know that the God who keeps living in us as living waters will keep sharing that with us as we grow in capacity to do it. So oftentimes, you know, preaching the, the gospels regularly, you know, I will read the same reading at different times in my life and I'll see something in it that I didn't see sometime before. And I like to think of the, the Bible really as, as like light hitting a diamond. It'll go in a number of different directions. And uh, it's like where it hits us at one point and where it hits another person, it's the same word, but it actually may come in different ways. So um, to really uh, also know this is not just a matter of intellectual mastery. Um, there are a lot of important scriptural studies done on the Bible, but this is not just something to get in our head. It's something to actually kind of just encounter in our being. And then from that, to just begin a long process of understanding. And really the work of theology is about faith seeking understanding and really understanding in this case what the scriptures mean. I like to think theology is faith seeking understanding that generates knowledge born of love. And ultimately, it's about being transformed by that love. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Well, you know, it comes to mind uh, the Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a Year podcast. That might also be really helpful as people are thinking of how they want to encounter the Bible this year. The lectionary, too, is very helpful for Catholics. Um, so one of the things that the um, the church has basically done is saying that we can't you know, really understand the Bible all at once. And we can't eat the whole um, really uh, ship's buffet at, uh, in one sitting. So we they've portioned out pieces of it over a period of time. And it's very structurally deliberate. I mean, we actually run through the course of the whole Bible in a two year cycle. 
uh, during the week and a three-year cycle on weekends. And so this kind of exposes people to the mystery of salvation through the books of the Bible. And so one way to kind of also enter into that cycle is to just take the readings for the day and to really let that be a path. It's like that's jumping in the water and sort of working with commentaries around those scriptures and maybe even reading more around a book that is being read uh, at a certain time uh, in liturgical cycle, you know, uh, during that uh, period. So I, I think there's many good resources out there. You said Father Mike Smith and others that uh, break up this process of learning the Bible little by little. But overall, it's just keep learning, keep growing, keep praying, keep understanding. That's what the journey of faith is all about. You know, you talked a little bit about encountering Jesus. What do you say to someone who um, maybe they feel they've never actually encountered him? They never heard his voice or they've never felt a personal encounter with the Lord or with the Holy Spirit. How can they do that? I think we can be open. Um, I don't have the levers um, or the strings to actually make that encounter happen. It's something that's given as a gift, not as something that we necessarily do. Um, and But I think our job is to keep putting it out there. You know, this past week I was up at Land of Lakes, which is property that Notre Dame has. Uh, and it was there with a team of ours to, uh, to reflect together. And um, that's a favorite place for fishing. And it's a place Father Hesburgh used to go to fish very often. I had fished in almost decades. Um, and uh, so I went out there and didn't catch a single fish. But I remember um, the passage of just Jesus calling people from where they were at. Basically, they were fishermen and he called them um, to something new. So he meeting people where they're at. If if that's where people are, says, I, I don't have never had an encounter with God. I don't know where God is. We just have to start there and just try to be open to that. But I also realized that um, the other side of that is when people are ministering in the vineyard and they want to proclaim the gospel and Jesus, uh, really what happens when there's nothing, they throw the line out there, you know, again and again and again, and there's just never a felt catch um, on the other end. Well, we keep doing it. I mean, that's the bottom line. And so I didn't catch a single fish, but it gave me a new insight into being a disciple. I said, well, Lord, I'm just going to keep throwing my my uh my lure out there and um you know hopefully something will come along so i came back to the lodge and sure enough the other people and the other like they caught 35 fish so you know that's just the way it works sometimes that's so funny i have a response to that too lauren and that is um uh, a story that um a forward for one of my books which is called something to live for was written by an episcopal priest named uh, richard bowles the late Richard Bowles and uh, his uh, forward to my book, something to live for was the gifts we love. And he said, I had this dream that I had a con in a dream. I had a conversation with God and I wanted to go to earth to be born and being a loving God. God said, I, what do you want to do? I don't know. I'm going to give you gifts. You love gifts. You enjoy to give to others. And so I can fast forward here by saying that he woke up from the dream, but he had amnesia. He couldn't remember what the gifts were that God gave him. And so part of the voice of Jesus, I think, is uh, looking at the gifts we love and seeing that that if we use these and the inner urge to give those gifts away in the service of others, that's Jesus speaking to us. That's that's uh, a real experience of something you can't always put your finger on, but you can feel how good it feels to use the gifts you love 
on things that matter to the others. So I think there are some practical things about how to discern and how to listen. And one is to really be clear, which we've talked about really quite a bit in this podcast series and perhaps will in the future about how do you really know your gifts? Are you born with these gifts or were you given, you know, all of that. So that's still part of the conversation. That's great. And do either of you find that you encounter the Lord through nature? And could you give me an example of when that's happened in your life? Well, I I live in nature. I'm looking right at the St. Croix River out here and birds and others. And I do, I mean, that's kind of a daily felt presence of the mystery and the magnificence of this life we've been given. And uh, the only other point I would say, because we could go on about this one for a long time, I've led trips in Africa for 35 years and they're called Back to the Rhythm. And people say, what's this back to the rhythm? And I say, you tell me when you feel it. And it usually takes three days for people to slow down, to take a deep breath and to feel where they are, as opposed to where are we going next? And what's, you know, when's dinner and all of those kinds of things. And so they walk in silence. They take a solo every day. And that silence and those solos has such an impact that people are freaked out about what do I do when I go home? (laughs) Because I don't live in silence and I don't, but we need time for solitude or solo. I think every day in nature provide can provide that. You know, one way or another, we're always working out for relationships, our relationships with ourselves, our relationship with others, our relationships with God and our relationships with the environment. And I think we have to get a felt sense, Richard, as you said, to know what it's like when we're aligned and connected and know what it's like when we're not aligned and not connected. And I, I certainly, in terms of the, the nature and the outdoors, I remember a couple of years ago being on a retreat in Colorado and I was spending most of that indoors. And at one point I just knew I needed a break and I went out, outside and I went hiking. And once I was near a river and a pine tree and I could smell kind of the, the earth and the surroundings and I could just look up at blue skies and clouds, I just felt like this alignment happen. And it was a good reminder to me that I have to find ways of connecting to the earth, you know, even here on campus or other places. It's just, even if it's just picking up a flower, looking at a tree leaf, um, you know, or just taking a walk to me, connecting with the earth um, makes a huge difference in terms of feeling balanced and feeling well. That's great. So we'll move on to another question here. It's a longer question, so I'm going to um, do my best here. It's from John from Naperville. And it's a great question. But pretty much what he's asking is, you know, some people see purpose and meaning and being able to live out uh, through your purpose. It's sort of a luxury. Um And, you know, if you need to go to a job from eight to five and it's paying your mortgage and you're supporting your children, you know, through that great work that you're doing, that's good. That's what God's calling them to do, you know, to provide for your family. But what if someone feels stuck in that, that there's really no way for them to follow their dream or to live out of their purpose? because they have these obligations every day. 
I'll take that on to start with, and that is that uh, he's uh, perhaps John in Naperville is thinking of purpose with a big P, like he has to quit his job and go to work in some kind of a social justice environment. And the big P purpose is good, and maybe that's what he's being called to do. But there's also a little P purpose, and there's often a big sigh of relief when I talk about big P and little P. Little P purpose is what, who you bring to life, to work, to family, to community every moment of the day. It's, a, it's the consciousness, it's the intention to make a difference in other people's lives and to be a servant leader uh, in spite of what your job is. And there's, uh, you can be a servant leader and have all kinds of work. There isn't any work that's more noble than another. So I think part of it is for John to step back and look at how he wants to serve. What are his gifts, his passions, his values? How, what's the best fit? And maybe he has to make a move and leave what he's doing, but maybe not. Maybe the small P is where he should start. And that is to wake up tomorrow morning with an intention to grow and give today and make uh, a move into one person's life today at the job or at home. And from the joy that, and fulfillment that comes from that, maybe they'll be inspired to do more. Richard, when I look at people like Dorothy Day, who really did so much to um, really um, create a space to, to respond to the problem of homelessness in our life and times, uh, I, I can't help but be amazed at really its impact of one life and the way she really lived it out with such purpose and meaning. But as we look deeper at her life, I realized that that didn't come easily to her. And um, But underneath even this kind of big sort of dream that she had, uh, there is a person who had a very simple spirituality. And uh, it's striking to me that her patron saint in working out this issue of homelessness was Therese of Lisieux. We know it's just a very obscure nun who lived in France and that she had a simple spirituality of doing little things with great love. And she built a whole spirituality on that and that she became the patron saint of the missions. And she was the patron saint of a person like Dorothy Day. And I think, like you said, it wasn't a matter of like doing great things, big things, very notable things that I think often catch the public eye. It was doing something with a great heart and really doing with full of love. So uh, she often was, she once made a point where young people asked her, what good can one person do? And she, what's the sense of a small effort that we have? Um, when she, people would ask her that question, she said, you know, people cannot see that they must lay one brick at a time and take one step at a time. She says, we can be responsible only for the one action of the present moment, but we can beg for an increase of love in our hearts that will vitalize and transform all of our individual actions, know that God will take them and multiply them as Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. So to me, that's a very insightful kind of way of looking at it is just being where we are, meeting God where we are. And then, as you said, being a servant leader where we are, um, but then having um, the finding the purpose and meaning in the way that we do, we do not just in measuring sort of the size or the public visibility of something that we do. And I learned that that's a choice. And I learned that from Viktor Frankl, who wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning, was in a series of concentration camps. His whole family was killed, and he was um, liberated and weighed 87 pounds. And he was a doctor and neurologist and psychiatrist. And he went back to Vienna to teach residents again. 
and he healed and he, in nine days, he sat down and wrote man's search for, for meaning. He said, the last of the human freedoms is choice. You choose what you want this moment, this day to be about, regardless of the adversities and circumstances you're in to choose your own way. So that whole point that father Dan just uh, mentioned was, is, is to make that choice in t- uh, intentionally and turn that into a practice. And uh, as Viktor Frankl, who I had the privilege of studying with early in my career uh, for a brief period of time, it was transformative for me because he said, say yes to life in spite of everything. And so we all have adversities. We all have perhaps mortgages or jobs or things that fit or don't fit. And we work our way through that by saying yes to life in spite of it all. Yeah, Richard, I wish my books only took nine days. That tends to be one of the favorite, favorite <laughs> books that, uh, of students in the classes, Men's Search for Meaning, and really that you could write about meaning from the context of a concentration camp, uh, to me, um, gives hope for everybody. But I was always take, I've always taken it away from that work as well, is that, that you, um, it, the meanings to be found in the choices you make and the choices you make in the context of suffering, and that somehow uh, the attitudes we choose um, we're really determined, you know, everything in terms of our outcome. Uh, I had a friend one time who had cancer, and I remember when he was diagnosed with non-Hopkins lymphoma and he had a terminal illness. The doctor said to him that you have cancer. He says and there's nothing you do can, that you can do now to change that, and nothing that you can do to keep it from coming on. He says, but how you respond will determine your outcome, and if you believe yourself to be a victim, you will be. And it was an interesting challenge to him because he knew that to die well, he really had to choose the attitudes, like you were saying. And so even in the context of adversity, uh, what is the path to choosing life? To me, that's where uh, the part of the insight lies. Mm, I love that. We have another question here, and it's from a, a gal in Ottawa. Her name is Kathleen. And she says, are there any programs at Notre Dame for older adults? who might want to spend sabbatical time pondering questions raised about aging and purpose. I'm familiar with the two-year forest dwelling program in San Antonio and was thinking of a more a four to eight week program. She's loving this series too, which is great. Lauren, if I didn't know better, I would think that was a plant from the Inspired Leadership Initiative. But um, <laughs> now that you mention it, uh, as some of you may know, we've often referred to it. There is an Inspired Leadership Initiative that we have here on campus. And people come here for a year to be on sabbatical from all walks of life and from all um, stages of life as well in terms of um, these are not just people who can afford to come as well. So we do have scholarships for this program as well. And we're also exploring a lifetime ND of sort of venue space where um, people can come to for periods of time to um, explore some of the things you're talking about. That's still in development, but I think that's certainly one of the things that we're really trying to bring forward here. We realize that our education doesn't stop after you finish your last degree. It actually something that continues. And I think we're seeing a lot more colleges and universities get into that space of not just a four-year project, but a 40 and actually more, I would say 40 to 50 year project. Um, that people are wanting to continue to learn well into their older years. So I think you open up a tremendous challenge to us, Catherine. And I think, um, you know, hopefully we will continue to offer more of these spaces in the years ahead. I think the, um, 
notion here is one of not lifelong learning, but long life learning. We're, le- we're living three decades longer. And if we're not curious, we don't grow and evolve in ways that will keep us healthy. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Lauren, was um, when one of the listeners and their questions said that purpose is a luxury. And what we know is this. The science and faith both agree that uh, uh, purpose is fundamental. It's fundamental to health, to healing, to happiness and fulfillment, and to longevity. People who have a reason to get up in the morning tend to live seven to 10 years longer. So the science is now self-evident. And so, but it demands curiosity. You can't just have science. You have to be curious about yourself, curious about the world, wake up with a sense of curiosity. And so growing the default purpose uh, that I would pass on to the questioner is this, are you growing and giving today? Because the default purpose that's universal is grow and give. You wake up every day with a sense of growing and giving. You may not be in a course at ILI or you might, but you still have to have practices. So I would start with practices like get up tomorrow and grow and give and the next day and grow and give and see how that goes for you as you're exploring your next chapter. And uh, on that same vein, would you say that there is an element of community that could help people discern their purpose? We live in a world of uh, isolation, it seems more than ever. And it just comes to mind that maybe being in community with friends, relatives, um, maybe past school friends, even from college or high school, may be able to be a support system. What would you say to that idea? Well, I would suggest that um, as you, depends on your circumstance, but to have a sounding board. A sounding board is your committed listener, your wise elder, your wise younger, and uh, your purpose partner. But don't go it alone. As I said earlier, isolation is fatal. And having a sounding board, I think, is essential as we go forward. And what is the sounding board? It's people who are interested not interested, not trying to be interesting. They're practicing care versus cure. They're not there to fix you. They're there to listen and say, Lauren, tell me more about that. Tell me more about what you're thinking. And so we hunger for that kind of connection. And uh, the pandemic that we're in and have been through has even exacerbated or accelerated that hunger for uh, the, the connectivity that comes from really courageous conversation and a sounding board is a place to have that. You know, in the class, we have students form a board of advisors and these are people that they can really bounce some of their ideas off of. I think it's very hard for us. I think we can only go so far in our own site in terms of where we are and who we are and what we're called to be. We often ask students to pay attention to those areas where they feel energized and aligned, but they also we ask them to do that with their peer group as well in this board of advisors. Oftentimes we can't see it, um, but when uh, P- students ask sort of their friends and, and colleagues and advisors, um, what is, do you think brings me alive and what does it brings me down? That can often provide a whole other level of insight. And I think, you know, the older I get, the more I realize is how we really can't do it alone. I mean, it's overstating the obvious. I think COVID has really made that dramatically clear. 
people who are locked in, locked up, didn't have connections, weren't able to be around each other. Uh, what kind of impact that had on people, I think, is, is really dramatic. And I think we're going to be impacting the, the consequences of that for well beyond getting physically well. So I, I think that need for connection and community is at the heart of who we are. And we just can't do it alone. So I think the need for community is essential. That's great. You know, I'm just thinking about the podcast and again, how much I've enjoyed listening to it. And something that's really struck me is thinking about purpose as I think of my future. So I'm a working mother, have four small children under the age of six. You know, every day is so just full of a lot of love and a lot of joy and just constantly giving of yourself, right? You start the morning, the moment you wake up, you just begin giving of yourself all the way until you get to the couch and just hope no one wakes up after you put them to bed. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> you know, so you're living out this purpose every day that God's given you, but there's very little time to think about like, your own personal needs, your own personal purpose as you think of the future. So what would you say to you know, moms out there that are just full of care needs and their entire day is wrapped up in helping others? How can they really be intentional about thinking about their purpose as they look to the future? Well, first of all, I'd say thank you for living in that relevant space and that relevant purposeful way. And uh, when I said earlier, a default purpose is to grow and give, we need, I think, the permission to push the pause button and make an appointment with ourselves every day for just a short period of time. Somehow we need to carve it out where we can take three deep breaths and maybe read, maybe pray, maybe do something. But without practices, uh, we're not in good, good shape. And I know I had uh, lunch with the happiest man in the world. He happens to be a Buddhist monk and the Dalai Lama's translator. His name is Matu Ricard. But he's really a deep dive researcher in altruism. And when I was uh, having lunch with him, I said, you're the happiest man in the world. And the reason is because when they measure the happiness in the brain, um, he, he does certain practices and uh, he's able to light up the pleasure center in the brain more than anybody they've ever measured before. And he says, well, I, they call me the happiest man in the world, but I'm not happy about it. And I said, well, why? And he said, because it's accessible for anybody. And I said, well, how is it accessible? And he said, one word, Lauren, practice. We need a daily practice in order to live a fulfilling, purposeful life. And so the question is to each of the mothers you talked about is what beyond their mothering and their other uh, things, what are their practices of self-care? They need a practice of self-care. And so that's not an easy, quick answer, but I, I, I just say the practice is the answer. That's great. Lauren, I'd like to just share experience with my own mother here. And I think my mother was just, uh, is such a loving person. And she really, uh, especially when we were growing up, just the many opportunities that she made possible and the many ways that she gave herself and many ways that she really opened up worlds to me. And when I was younger, when I was in third grade, she used to walk me to school. And she used to walk me to school. It's about maybe a mile walk or so. 
And I can remember when I got to fifth grade, about halfway through the walk, we were getting closer to my friend's neighborhood. And I realized where I, the territory I was coming close to. And so about halfway through the walk, I stopped my mother and I said, Mom, I said, you don't have to walk me the rest of the way, which translated means if my friends see you walking me to school, I'm dead. I'm dead in the water. <laughs> so um, my mother said she went back that day and she cried because her youngest didn't need her anymore. Uh, so when she moved back here um, some time ago, um, when my dad was having some health issues, as she moved across the street from where I live, uh, I used to go over there every first day of school and I would knock on her door and say, Mom, will you walk me to school? So she would actually walk me to school until after my father passed away, she got remarried. Then she says, I don't need you to walk. <laughs> so I think so much of uh of our life is giving ourselves and then letting go and then letting new life be born. And I think it's hard. It was hard for my mother to let go of her son who was growing up. It was hard of her son to let go of my mother when she was growing older. Uh, but somehow what I always remember is just the way that she's loved. And so the love of a mother for, for your children um, is, is a treasure that you just never, ever lose. And, and, it's, and it's an eternal investment. So I, I think I'd like you, Richard, thank the mothers of this world and of this podcast that, that really do invest in that way, because um, it, even if it doesn't seem purposeful and meaningful, and I'm glad everything feels happy and adventurous, but I'm sure there's days too where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Yes. <laughs> so, but somehow that's all part of the meaning purpose journey as well, it would seem. Yeah, very true. And Richard, I love what you said about just having that practice, whether that's getting up 15 minutes early and having a moment of prayer or silence or whatever, just really carving that in. That's really helpful. Yeah, the one practice, if I had to nail it after four, five decades of research and study and practice myself is this, open up every day with a two-minute practice. I call it the purpose practice. And it's three steps. Step one, pause. In other words, don't reach for your cell phone or your computer or your whatever and to be distracted. Number two, take three deep breaths. Center yourself in your life. And third, make an intentional commitment to make a difference in one person's life today. Visualize your upcoming day and beyond your family, beyond the obvious caregiving that you're doing as a parent or as at work or whatever. Who could you actually make a difference in sort of parenthetically walk to school, but not literally, but who could you make a difference in today? And that brings such joy to people when they start to look forward to those purpose moments day to day, but it starts with an intention. Purpose is a mindset, as Father Dan said earlier, it's an intention. And out of that, we develop practices. And that's the practice that I believe will really work. Wake up with why every single morning and answer the why question. Why am I here? Why did God put me here? What's the point of the exercise? How can I make a difference for someone today? I love that. That's so smart. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, I have one last question for both of you. And it's kind of a creative one. So we'll start with you, Richard. If you could send one text message to the world, what would it be? I would uh, use uh, Victor Frankl's message. Say yes to life in spite of everything. That would be my text. Mm, that's so encouraging. And Dan, what about you? I've always been inspired by the Jesuit paleontologist, Teilhard de Chardin. 
and he used to study the power and the energy that was in rocks and in creation and in matter. And he had this vision that all of the creation was evolving towards this omega point. And this omega point was really this place of transformation where God was uh, transforming everything in himself and becoming all in all. And I think as I reflect on my life and realize that love is at the center of the universe and that our lives are being are about being caught up and transformed by that love. In that spirit, the heart of Christ to me is really the doorways, understanding our entrance into that love and the path of transformation in that love. So I would write uh, my one text message for the world to be everything to his heart for others. Mm, that's really beautiful. Well, guys, this has been really fun being with you. I just love the podcast this entire season. I feel like I've learned a lot. I feel like um, I've just really felt inspired. So I can't wait for season two. Um, and Dan, I'll pass it back to you. Well, thank you, Lauren, and for John, because it's the two of you who really helped bring this <laughs> podcast into being. Done about you, Richard. I've just kind of showed up and really we've just been having a good conversation <laughs> with each other. So uh, we really know that they're just beginning to talk about these issues. So if, uh, if this is something that speaks to you, uh, we really ask all of you to just uh, help us know what's speaking to you. And we are in the service industry. So any ways that we can continue to offer these to you, um, bring people uh, and spaces to you to advance these conversations and to have these meaningful conversations about things that matter. Um, that's what we're all about. So again, thank you all for joining us this season. Thank you for being part of our journey here at Notre Dame and in Minnesota or wherever you may be. And we hope we can continue um, to journey together to have meaningful conversations about things that matter, things that matter, and to also just find our way into purpose and meaning.